0: Very glad that you're with us this morning as we start a new series in the Gospel of John. And we I, I was trying to time it so that we would start the series the first Sunday of December. It was important for me that December and the Gospel of John, especially the prologue, went together. And it is because both the time that we're in, Christmas time for us, is a time that we start to look for places to. Focus our affection and our attention. We get Amazon wish lists from our friends and family and go, What do you just tell me what you want? and then we'll just slowly start picking that list off one by one. Uh, We think of things that we want to get. We start going, What could we do here? What could we do here? We all get nicer for a little while most of the time. So we kind of have all these ways in which we are trying to focus our attention. We spend money. We make wish lists, we have new songs, we make memories. All this stuff just kind of pours out of us during this time. And part of it, I mean, we, are, we want to be generous, God is generous, we want to be gracious givers, God's a gracious giver. I get, I get all of those reasons, and I think part of it is simply because we're longing for something meaningful, we just want to do things that matter. And we want to be a part of something or some things that matter, that are significant, that have weight. And the calendar gives us an opportunity to, to do or what do what seems like significant things. We're all looking for places to give our affection and our attention. And that's not that's year round. All looking for places to give our attention, give our affection. But what ends up happening is that we move from one thing to the other. We move from season to season. We move from just, just whatever, whatever stage to whatever stage, going, this is going to keep me going. Right? Kind of the advertising cycle of the world. It just keeps you focused on things of the world. Things going on in the world. And so you go, well, now it's Christmas, but Christmas lasts from about October to September, you know, it just it just goes on forever and ever and ever. You know, so Christmas music starts earlier, and Christmas things start earlier, and now there's like this Black Friday no longer exists. Like, we're going to do Black Friday on Monday, before Black Friday. Like, everything's just kind of pushing up. Get our attention, get our affection. It all happens. Then we have all these personal things that we do. We have our uh, children's birthdays, or our grandkids' birthdays, spouses' birthdays, friends' birthdays. We celebrate things at work. We just have all these kind of moments that if we can just... Make it through a few weeks, there's a new thing to celebrate and a new thing to look forward to. And we kind of do the same thing. I feel like we have Christmas time right now. And then in June, we do our uh, pretty, uh, Lord willing, we do it again. We have our, our st- standard Pine Cove, family camp, you know, vacation that we do. So that comes six months after Christmas. So now all you have to do is kind of fill the three-month gap in between, something in the spring, and then something else in the fall. And now about every quarter there's something to look forward to. then you have birthdays that show up. Now, we have birthdays that show up kind of all around family camp. We have November, we have August, we have uh, October. So we can kind of keep things moving for a little while. It's kind of nice. But you can do all of those things and still miss out on the most... Significant things of life. You can give all your attention, and you can really go through, I've said this before, you can go through weeks, years, and months of giving your attention to other things, and get to the back end of it, and realize that it got you nowhere. Because you didn't, you didn't focus on the appropriate things. In our hope, my hope, is we go through the Gospel of John, is that it focuses us. It it, it it roots our hearts in the person and work of Jesus Christ and reminds us of what matters. And that through being rooted there, we are not buffeted or bothered by the ways of the world, the cycles of the world, the things of the world. I, I do. We sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. The things of the you know, earth will grow strangely dim. That is... A longing of my heart, it is a longing of our heart that we are not attracted to the world because we have seen what is so much better in Jesus Christ. The prologue of the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 18, kind of sets up everything that John's going to talk about. If you're unfamiliar with John, that's totally fine. You will become, over the coming months, rather familiar with John. You're going to get comfortable. So we're just going to buckle up. We're going to settle into the Gospel of John for a while. We're going to be in the prologue for the month of December. And we're going to see John had one aim, that in understanding Jesus as revealed in John, you would believe in him. And that in believing, you would have life in his name. So he kind of lays out his purpose statement, which is really helpful, because most of us are pretty dense. So you go, oh, okay, so that's what you meant. I had a conversation with somebody this week who was talking to me about the Gospel of John. And he's like, why would somebody tell me to read the Gospel of John first? I was like, well, let me tell you. He would have you read the Gospel. You know, somebody told him to read the Gospel of John. He goes, why would he say that? I said, he would tell you to read the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John is written so that you would believe in Jesus. Like, it is, it is, it is there to argue to you that Jesus is everything that he said he would be. The Son sent from the Father... To seek and save that which was lost. The light of this world. And we get to go a little bit by bit through this prologue. Which is going to be a bit slow. But in the prologue we develop the themes that we'll see throughout the gospel of John. And what you're going to see in these first five verses. John 1, 1 through 5. In these first five verses is that John reveals that Jesus, the Son, the Word, we're going to do those, I'll use those interchangeably, uh, but Jesus, the Son, the Word, that, though, that, 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 that He is the pre-incarnate, meaning before the incarnation, John 1.14, from before all time, Word of God, the one we need to have life. That's what you're going to see. If you're familiar with the flow of the Bible, and you're even familiar with just how Bible books begin, you might have heard the joke that goes something like this. Um, do you know that God is a baseball fan? And you go, no, I didn't know that God was a baseball fan. He goes, yeah, because when you read Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning. There it is. There it is. Thank you very much. Willie, you can keep that one. Use it when your grandkids later, okay? Yeah, that one's there for you. That one was free, you know? You have unpaid elders and paid elders, and now you know why they pay some of us the jokes. In the beginning, not beginning, in the beginning, it's one word, not two. And you see that in Genesis chapter 1, and you see that in John chapter 1. It is not a mistake that John is going to borrow the language of Genesis 1 to communicate the person of the Word. But the first two verses, we will see quite clearly that the Word is God, and he explains it in a few ways actually through all the prolog but in a few ways so, in the beginning borrowed language from genesis 1 was the word the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god first Verse, two verses there's your idea the word is god the word is in the beginning with god so you go back to genesis 1:1 1, 1. in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is not trying to confuse you. If you go, man, that's pretty easy, because sometimes you read Bible verses, and you're like, what's the link here? And you don't know what the link is. Uh, But when it says, in the beginning, and John 1 starts with in the beginning, and Genesis 1 starts in the beginning, and John 1 talks about creation, and Genesis 1 talks about creation, you can go, hey, I'm a Bible scholar. Like, you can kind of just step right into it, because you see it right there. So... In the beginning was the word. Now, there's this idea of word, which is interesting, because we say it a lot, right? Preach the word. Uh, talk about the word. Give me the word. Read the word. So we have all these things, but we talk about it often about pages. We, when we say word, often we, we, we are meaning Bible, or, or we assume that we mean Bible. So when we read the word, we, we go, oh, yeah, read the Bible. But this is different, because you have John going, in the beginning was the word, not the Bible, in the beginning was the Word, so we now know that the Word is different than what we might think when we see when we just go Bible. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So now we have a bit of some confusion there. Don't we? I mean, like, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Word was there, the Word was there in the beginning. A few ideas on what Word means. And John is using this concept, this Word, Word, to highlight specific things about the second person of the Trinity. First word can mean, in a sense, wisdom. That, 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 that there's this, this development of the idea that you know, word is wisdom. But also, just when you speak, you use words, correct? And so word also means that which is spoken. And you can say, and the Lord spoke, all through the Old Testament. Because remember... When the New Testament authors are referring to the Scriptures, they're not referring to the New Testament Scriptures, uh, except for maybe Peter in 2 Peter. Uh, but, but, but so what we have is an understanding that when we're speaking of Scriptures, we're often speaking Old Testament. We'll speak both Old and New, but the New Testament authors are speaking uh, what we would call the Old Testament. But all throughout the Old Testament, God is speaking. That's actually how Genesis 1 begins, right? And then God spoke. And God spoke, and God spoke, He said, let there be, said, let there be, said, let there be. He would call it good. He would declare that there would be night, and there would be day. And so he was a speaking God from the very beginning. But then what John does is say, oh, no, when you see God speaking, it's the Word. So the Word is wisdom, but the Word is also that which is spoken. And then there's this idea that the Word is uh, Torah. When I say Torah, I mean instruction. The Old Testament idea of instruction. And all those three ideas kind of wrapped up in this idea of word, this word, word. A commentator named Craig Keener wrote a good John commentary. He says it like this that Jesus is the embodiment of all God's character revealed in the Mosaic law, but is more accessible to humanity. Meaning, meaning what you see in Jesus is what God had wanted the full embodiment of those walking in his ways to be. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was the Word. So we understand, you might be going, well, how do I know the Word is Jesus? You go down to one fourteen, which is still in the prologue, and you read, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we recognize the Word is introduced in 1 through 5, but then in verse 14, the Word becomes flesh. But in 1 through 5, the Word is preexistent. The word is before us. And when we see the declaration that the word was with God and the word was God, that should be a little bizarre. So uh, Fred Sanders, who is a Trinitarian theologian, I believe at Biola, uh, but he would put it this way. He would say, uh, withness and oneness... In the same person, he gave a lecture some years ago at Lanier Library, and he goes, you know, my name is Fred, and my father's name is Fred, and my grandfather's name is Fred, we're all Fred, and we're all together in the same room, you can say Fred was with Fred, but you don't say, and Fred was Fred, right, he goes, that's creepy. To say that I was also with and one. He goes, so withness we get or oneness we get. But withness being with something or someone and oneness being the same as that person. That's a concept that you know we just kind of read and go, oh yeah, it makes sense. It doesn't make sense. Right now we are all here with one another in the room. But we are all not one another. And yet what you see John saying is that the word was with God, meaning residing there with God, but at the same time that the word was with God, the word was God. In the beginning, with God. Now, how can you be both with a person and also be that person? And this is where people have gone for centuries to help define language, because you don't really see the word Trinity in the Bible You don't see the the phrase hypostatic union in the Bible either. Those aren't there. These are words that we use to try and define what exists in the pages of Scripture. So we go, okay, well, how do you you define that? And so what, what many would just say is it's three persons, one essence, is the way that they will start to define Trinitarian language. Three persons, one essence. Right, So then you can see like these little triangles where they're all God, but the, son, the Father's not the Son, the Father's not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the... Yeah, like, and so, triangle, Father, Son, Spirit. They're not, they're not equal, but they all then go to the middle and they're all God. Withness and oneness. So this Word was there, the Word was with God, but also the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And John's going to flip this and then talk about how the Word was the Creator, The one active in creation. This is not something that only John says. In fact, it's going to be carried on into New Testament epistles as well. If John is saying in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he then is going to link the beginningness to the creation aspect. And so what you see in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. A lot of maids in there. All things were made through him and without him, not anything made that was made. But what we see is the Word active in creation. I, I would put it this way. Not everyone would put it this way, but I would. That when you see in the Old Testament God speaking, you're seeing the activity of the second person of the Trinity, the Word. Because we look backwards to what God has revealed and go, oh, this is, this is what's going on. Right? So as God is progressively revealing who he is and his character and how he is saving, and we see the full revelation of the Son and the Spirit, as we see that, we go back and go, oh. And Jesus will use some phrases, like before Abraham was, I am. He'll say something like that. and really make the Jewish leaders mad because they know what he's saying. They understand that he's going, No, I was before Abraham, and I'm actually linking myself to the phrase that was used for Moses. When, I, when God says, Tell him I am, sent you. And he's now linking himself to that same type of phrase. So I would say, when, when you see God speak, you see the work of the second person of the Trinity, the Son. The Son is the speaker. The Son is the speaker. He does not speak on his own accord he is the speaker. So he creates everything, but this isn't the only place that you might see that. You actually see this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the apostle Paul says it like this, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, and indeed there are many quote gods and quote lords, yet there is yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things Uh, And for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Which is a little bit of a different language, but but many would lash on to say like this: that this is how the Trinity works. Things come from the Father, through the Son, powered by the Spirit, right? From the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. And so this is how they all remain active in salvation and in life. So salvation from the Father, happening through the work of the Son, ensured by the Spirit and dwelling, that this is the way in which God operates, that we get to now, with the Scriptures, go, oh, this is what's going on. So from the Father, right, we see that in verse 6. But then there's one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Colossians chapter 1 Saying this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. That if you want to know God, you look at Jesus. The firstborn of all creation, meaning the heir of all creation. Some misconstrue this and twist this to say Jesus was created. They use John 1 to do this, which they should not do. And they'll use something like Colossians 1 to go, oh, he's the firstborn. Like, I have a firstborn son, but he was born But firstborn can also mean heir. We don't think of it that way because our kids, right, all they get is our debt. They don't get our belongings. They get our debt. But when you had stuff, right, the firstborn would get more. Firstborn had special status. The firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see actual symmetry between what's being said in First Corinthians about Jesus holding things together and in Colossians chapter one about all things holding together. Now this one is not up, I'm gonna be on the slide, but I'm gonna give you one more. I'm gonna give you Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter 1 will say a similar thing, and I I love what Hebrews chapter 1 does because it speaks about how God speaks, gives you language for how God has revealed truth. Now listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 1. The author of Hebrews writes this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophet, by the prophets, right? So we know that. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah—like God spoke through prophets to reveal God's message so that people would know who God is and know how to respond. Long ago, he would speak through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. There again. You see, in Corinthians, in Colossians, and in Hebrews, this consistent understanding that the Father is the, it's from the Father, but it happens through the Son. The Son is an active part of all that goes on, as is the Spirit. They're all there, and they're all active in the activity of God because it takes three persons, one essence. The Christian understanding of God it is is hard as it is to comprehend because God can be incomprehensible. It also it makes sense. It makes sense to go, okay, oh, well, well something has to happen here, but how does, how does God exact justice on a sinful world, right? Like, like how, does, how does he do that? Unless there is a way to exact justice. From the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. So the Word is God. We see the Word is God through even creation, and John then is making his language clear. He's making it precise The Word was there with God the Father, making parallel language in Genesis 1. The Word also was God. The Word created everything that you see. But also the Word provides something that all men need. Every single person in this room needs something. And this is what you begin to see developed through the Word. Verse 4. In him, this is how you can associate personhood with wordness. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, darkness and light is going to be a theme theme that is consistent in the gospel of John, that there are those who are in darkness and then there is the light. Even uh, my, my buddy used to call him Nick at night, right? If you're familiar with Nick at night, Nickelodeon, and you, know, you probably aren't anymore. But Nick at night, Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. I'm full of the jokes today, guys, and they're all borrowed. So if you like them, they belong to other people. And if you don't like them, they belong to other people. My jokes, are, they're, they're A+. Plus, but other people's jokes, eh, we'll see. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and night is this continual metaphor in the Gospel of John for darkness and confusion about who God is. And so when you read the Gospel of John, you go through it together, you're going to see these like night and light and darkness. You're going to see these two things, but one thing you need to recognize is there is a light and there is darkness. The light shines in the darkness, but in darkness has not overcome it, overpowered it, grabbed a hold of it. There's different words there. Overtaken it, cannot. But let's go to this idea of, of in Jesus being, being life. In him was life. What does it mean in him was life? Like, like, I'm alive. You're alive. So so what do I mean in him was life? Because I feel pretty good. Stand up here, you seem all right where you are, right? I think we're all mostly awake, even me. So like we're doing okay here. We're, We're awake, we're alert, we have our life, our hearts are beating. So what in the world, when we read that the word has life, what do I do with that? Well, you're going to find time and time again that John recognizes that we are spiritually dead, incapacitated, unable to follow God. That we are darkened in our hearts and our understanding. And that's the link between life and light. Life and light to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, like, 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 like we like to sing at Christmas time. And it was life, and this life was the light of men. Now, this phrase can offend you and can offend me because no one likes being told that they don't measure up. I don't. I mean, yeah, hey, yeah, feedback, whatever, like, we, yeah, like yeah, make me better. But when we, like, no, fundamentally, you don't measure up. It's not like the most favorite Christmas message that we give. Right? The Hallmark Christmas movies are all about like finding your love and you know, living your life and do whatever. We, I think last year I just showed pictures of all the Hallmark Christmas movies. They all look the same. It's like a guy and a girl wearing red and green, and they're just happy, and it's like a so-and-so. And you can find like the little Rubik's Cube things or, like create your own Hallmark movie channel, which is like A, you know, whatever. Who's going through A, found A, and now they, like that's how you, that's the Hallmark movie channel trope. We want to be uplifted. We want to feel better. We want to know that we can do things. We want to see the home alone bad guys get crushed and the, you know, Kevin McAllister, the good guy, like when? That's what we want. We want an elf or Buddy the Elf to find his dad and everything to go well. We want good stories during this time and to have John right at the beginning. In him was life, which then means it's not anywhere else. And this life was the light of men, means that we need it. It shines in the darkness. Well, wait a minute. If the light is the light of men and the light shines in the darkness, what does that mean about me? That I'm darkened? That, That I have need? That I am imperfect? That I struggle? Yeah, it means all of those things. what we need to realize it means the most is that we are fundamentally separated from God. Which is an incredibly uncomfortable statement to make, especially in the pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of world in which we live. That we can't make ourselves right And it takes light shining into darkness to understand what all is going on. Because what does light do but illuminate? It shows, it reveals, it shines. And so, life is something that we need. Going back to John chapter 20, verse 31. This is where he talks about what he did. But these are written... These stories, this gospel, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, or you could, you could say Messiah, He is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you have life, you may have life in His name. So again, John is not uncomfortable declaring to us the reality in which we live, which is darkened people in need of light. But he's also not afraid to explain the light. Which is the word, the son, the incarnate one, Jesus. We need life. Life is in Christ. Which then, if you just follow that, we need Christ. The light shines and illuminates our hearts to what is true. True. So you can you can actually track you can track the thinking here. Who are we? Who are we? We're people in darkness. We're people in darkness. This is I would say this this is one of the most uncomfortable things to say or to, to actually hold on to at times because we live lives where we don't. We don't like making people feel uncomfortable. I don't. I don't think you do in general. Maybe maybe some of you are weird, but like in general, we don't like making people feel uncomfortable. And this is worldview forming, isn't it? This is, this is, you could say, it gives you part of a biblical anthropology. Who are we and what's going on? And what it's saying is, you're darkened. But the world is going to say, and when I say world, if you do a word study on how John uses the word world, like it... There's a lot of different ways he talks about the world. But what the world would say, and what I mean by that is this structure that exists outside of, like, it's Satan's world. What the world is going to say to you is, yeah, you got it. You measure up, get what you need, live your life, be happy, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you may die. You, You go after yourself, make what you can, do what you can, live how you want, get a lot of cryptocurrency in the process. Like, that's what it seems to be telling you. And what John does is he almost stands outside of that and goes, "That's darkened. You need light." And it's what I'm saying, it's what's hard for us is to realize that people you love deeply and dearly are darkened. But the other thing is this: You didn't earn your light. That's what makes evangelism, and I think why John is so free to write what he does, that's what makes evangelism, just talking just talking to people about Jesus so they might trust in him. That's what, that's what makes it so, so great, is it's not you walking around being like, well, let me tell you something, man. You know, like, let me tell you what's up. It's not that. We're not sparring. You're just pointing them to the light. <laughs> that's all you do. You point them to the light. And what the, the spirit does in that moment, because I've said this before, the spirit has a spotlight ministry. The spirit shines on Jesus. Right? Like that's, that's how we can recognize, like if the Spirit's at work, you're understanding Jesus better. That's, that's how you know. If I'm understanding Jesus better, then the spirit's doing something. If I'm comprehending Jesus better and I'm walking with Jesus more closely, that's the spirit at work, because the spirit makes what Jesus said clear. So we're people in darkness. But that makes evangelism not me over here going, you should be more like me. It's, it's me going, we should both be more like Jesus. All right. I, I still need to be like him and grow in him, but you need him for salvation. We both need Jesus. We need him. And when I, it's, it's one of the most freeing things to realize that when it comes to evangelism, you can just step out of the equation and just point at Jesus. And what happens with that is... Whatever happens with that. You need the light. You need the light. So who are we? We're people in darkness? Why are we in darkness? Because of our sin and love of this world? It's funny, because even in John's epistle, First John, he says, "Don't love the world." Or things of this world because if, anything, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I think that would be meant to say this, that if you're loving the, actively loving the world and going after the world, you don't have any capacity to love God because you're loving things of the world, right? Your love bucket's filled up. So don't love the world. Give your attention and your devotion and your affection over to Jesus. So what do we need? We need the light. as argument. In him was life, and this light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And why do we need the light? Because it's the only way that we're made right, because this is the only thing that is brighter and better than the darkness that is in us. It can actually remove that darkness. So we need the light because the light shines, and darkness cannot overcome it. In so many times and in so many ways, we are kind of living life as a uh, numb. I'll just say it that way: We're living life numb, kind of dulled our senses, dulled our attention, not focused on the Lord Jesus. And we need to be brightened in our understanding. We need Him because He was there from the beginning. He, think about this, the word, Jesus, the light, the one who brings life, he is the one holding even this moment together right now. That as you have just breathed in, even that power and that capacity is sustained by the sun. S O N. He's holding this moment together. He's holding us together. That the Spirit is active even right now. And so in this life where we live from thing to thing and activity to activity and holiday to holiday to try to make our lives feel better, what we need and what we must remember is that it is the Word, the Son, Jesus, who gives and is all significance, all significance, and we enter into, I mean, this is, this is the feeling we get, I can speak to parents in the room whose kids are going to want stuff, and, and you're going to feel this, you're like, I'm sorry we can't get you all those things, or I want to get you all those things, right, right, like, we, we'll, we can still, because we like that, we want to make it about the things, And I say to parents all the time, when we, when we talk about it, so all the time is, you know, we don't talk about it all the time. The best gift you can give your children is that you would walk with Jesus. That's honestly the best thing that you can be for your children or for your grandchildren or for your spouse. How can I be a better spouse? How can I be a better friend? How can I be a better neighbor? How can I be a better dad? How can I be a better mom? How can I be these things? By walking closely with your Savior by not getting distracted by the detours that show up in our lives where we can spend days, weeks, months, and years focusing on things that are insignificant. By remembering that Jesus is life and that he shines light and that we need it. When I think about what to do with a passage like this other than just marvel, I go, well, that's kind of it. Right? That, that, that we as, as God's people saved by his grace, not by our own effort, that we as God's people should worship the word. Now hear me because, again, we have synonyms here. When I say worship the word, I mean as John is revealing him, not as in the Bible pages. Worship the word in your life, the person of Jesus, God himself revealed to us so that we can be united with God the Father for all time. Believe in him and put your attention and affection on him. Now, this is a hard one because, you know, it's like, like, you know, like the Christianese people go, oh, yeah, well, you know, pour out your affection on Jesus, and we all get it. But I think there's a large portion of us, and I'm usually in it, that's like, what in the world do you mean by pour out my affection on him? Like, 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 what do I do? How do, I, how do I pour out affection on something? You know, I can, I can, like, take my family to dinner, or I can get a gift, but when it comes to, like, what do I do with that? So I could just maybe say it this way. To give steady attention of your time, of your day, and of your words over to christ now he is all of it right he holds together all of it but affection honestly i mean let's just think about it in a a human sense affection only really gets developed with time and it can often get lost with time right you can hear the story of couples who go i just did you know i just fell out of love like did you fall out of love or did you really just get super lazy because you, you likely got super lazy. Like it, but, but laziness happens kind of month by month, right? Just like weight gain. Right, so, so you're like, you know, 10 years later, you're like, wait a minute. Like, nothing fits anymore. You're like, well, I could have said that for a while, right? But like, it doesn't happen overnight. So when I say pour out your affection, maybe we could think of the inverse and just go, give your attention to Jesus. And when I say give your attention to Jesus, what, what, what I mean is, is is setting aside real time to pursue Him. Now, how do I pursue Him? I will say, you read the Scriptures, and this is what I mean. This is what I mean. And this is how we have to make the link and be sure that we're not being Bible-centric, and what I mean by that is only looking at words on the page, is that the revealed Spirit-inspired Scriptures show us Jesus. And so as we read, and we discuss, and we memorize, and we engage with, and we sing, and we pray, as we You make that like breathing for us. We begin to understand the person work of Jesus more fully. That's when I say attention. Attention. Because that's really what stirs up affection. I was talking to one of my kids yesterday. We were watching a song song on YouTube, like many of us probably do, like watching, hey, come over, watch this song, and it was like symphonic, it was a symphony, and it was a song, and it was just, it was beautiful, it was beautiful, right, because it's like, we were also watching Rudolph red Reindeer, but that was later, um, or earlier, but, but we were watching this, and I was telling the, the child who was sitting beside me, I was like, I might start crying as I listen to this. Like, You're gonna cry? I was like, yes, I just, I, it, it'll just undo me here in a moment, because what starts to happen is it starts to go, everything's working, everything's working together, it's, it's rising and it's swelling, and I'm just, I'm just going, yes, God, Lord Jesus, like, whatever you're doing in the world is gonna be better than that. Now, I have to tell you, I have not always been one to cry at pretty music or get emotional about music because it's just music, whatever. But what starts to happen is you give your attention over to Jesus, you start to see it everywhere. You see it in movies, and you go, oh, that's what the world's scratching at. It's trying to find a way to be redeemed, but it's failing, but it's failing. It's not going to get you there. It's going to get you feeling better for a moment, but it's not going to get you there because you can't get yourself there. You can't overthink it. You can't underthink it. You can't outsmart it, right? Like we're here and we're stuck in darkness, and as much as we might try and scratch at what it means to be in the light, we can't get there because we have to be brought there. And we're brought there by the Word. So the more we understand, invest in, meditate on, memorize, discuss, pray over what we see in the Scriptures, the more, right, remember what we read last week, that the Word of Christ dwells richly in you. As it dwells richly in us, we begin to see it. And it does, all of a sudden, it does get more of your affection. You do get grieved over sin, you do to get encouraged by stories of redemption. It starts to change you. And you want to spend time in different places. But that's that I can't say, well, when does that happen? It just it just does. It just starts to happen. And you look back and you go, oh, I care about different things now. Why? Because the Spirit's been at work. The Spirit's been at work. So give our attention to the revealed word of God. Jesus. But how do we do that? By understanding John. We could just start there. By understanding John and what John tells us about Jesus and how he gives his affection and attention to Jesus. He calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. He had this weird way to be like humble bragging. And so he would, he would, he would never refer to himself in stories. He would always talk about himself. But he never said, it was me. And he also doesn't call John the Baptist, whom we will read about next week. He doesn't call him John the Baptist. He just calls him John. Uh, you know, like, like just, just has a different, different way of understanding here in like 6 through 8. He's just going to call him John. That John bears witness, right? Because he's John. And so like he just kind of removes himself from all understanding of what's going on. So we hear this whole passage. We see what's going on, that Jesus was there from the beginning. The Son was there from the beginning. The Word, and I go, this just leaves us no solution. Like, there's no other thing to do but just to go, it's you, God. It's you. It's not me. I need that light. I need that life. The world needs that light, and the world needs that life. And that as we give our attention to the word, what we can then do is we talk to others about it. That we can be, we aren't the light, but we can, as we'll read next week, talk about the light. We can testify and witness about the light. We can speak about the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus and the heart of Jesus and the love of Jesus. That We can do that. And the light will not be overcome by darkness, which gives me great confidence to let me know that this is all going in a direction where evil does not win. Darkness does not win. Light wins. But it's not just some kind of cosmic, worldly understanding that we all share, where it's like, oh yeah, light's better than darkness, love is love, like, that's not, that's not what I know. Love is Christ. Light is Christ, right? These concepts that the world all would probably resonate with and connect to in some way are revealed specifically in the person and work of Jesus. Not obscurely or confusingly, but specifically. We have a specific faith with real and true things declared to us by a loving and gracious God who wants to be known makes himself known. We don't have to wonder if he's distant or far off. We don't have to be confused about him because he has revealed himself fully in the sun. And that sun is due all our worship because he is everything that we need. And he is due all our attention.